Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Kaysen. With me today are the dynamic duo of Daniel Mangana and Alex Standy. This is your Daily Dose of Happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. And it's certainly my Daily Dose of Happy because we have the full team here on Thursday. This doesn't happen a lot lately, but we got everybody here at the same time. This is great. I'm loving this. So, Daniel, Alex, it's nice to see you both on the same screen at the same time. This is good. I am very happy to be here. Very happy to be here. Happy. Isn't nice? I love it. It is very nice, no doubt. And we also have a special guest uh, named Mike. He goes by the name of Michael Unbroken. I'm pretty sure that's not his surname, uh, but uh, it's what he goes by. And it, it also ties into his podcast, Think Unbroken with Michael Unbroken. And I kind of got the sense about why he calls himself that because I read his bio. And I think, Michael, you have set a new standard for what trauma is because, wow, you lived it. But first of all, welcome to the program. Before we even get into all that, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm amazing. Thank you. Um, it's hilarious when I have Borat quotes going through my head as soon as I start to have an interview <laughs> with somebody. Because I'm like, shit, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I just say, so you know, Walt, um, Michael's been on my podcast. I've been on Michael's podcast. Yes. So he wasn't just say, randomly saying, hey, Daniel. We do actually No, no, I gathered that. Yeah, we <laughs> guys knew each other. Yeah. Yeah, which is great. I love this. I mean, it's a nice surprise for me, too, that you guys know each other, and apparently for quite some time, which is fabulous. I love that. But, Michael, you, you got to tell our audience a little bit about your background, because it is quite a background. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I always tell people, like, this gets a lot darker before it gets lighter, so mm. buckle up. You know, today, um, my life is very different than where it started. I'm an award-winning speaker, best-selling author, top 10 international podcast host, blah, 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 right? Um, but that's not where it began, as many of these stories do not begin in that aspect. Um, growing up in Indianapolis, my mother was a drug addict and alcoholic. Um, she actually cut off my right index finger when I was four years old, hmm. had about five, six surgeries on that thing. Um, and people, well, that's the reaction. Well, people go, oh, my God. And, you know, the thing is, like, hurt people hurt people and build people, heal people. And so as I was going through childhood and experiencing all this trauma, like that's foundation. She married my stepdad when I was six. He was crazy abusive. Like the dude would rip us out of bed in the middle of the night and beat the shit out of my brothers and I for putting away wet dishes, right? That's context. And so I spent the majority of my childhood homeless, deeply in poverty. In fact, between eight to 12, lived with 30, three zero different families. We bounced around place to place to place. Sometimes it was vans. Sometimes it was abandoned houses. Like, I never knew, man. And uh, my grandma adopted me when I was 12, which would be a godsend to some extent. Um, however, I'm biracial. If you're listening and not watching, I'm black and white. And my grandmother was an old racist white lady from a town in Tennessee you never heard of. Oh, no. And so we had a copy of Mein Kampf in our living room. Oh, no. My, my uncle is a part of the Aryan Brotherhood, you know. And so, like, uh, imagine the massive identity crisis I had. So at 12 years old, I started doing drugs. I was popping pills, doing drugs, by 13, getting drunk. And by 15, I was expelled from school for selling drugs. I was breaking into houses, stealing cars, running from the cops, getting shot at. Like, I mean, it was some movie shit, like, for real. My life was crazy. Wow. And uh, one day I get a call from a counselor, and they're like, you need to come to school. 
the dean wants to talk to you. And I'm like, for what? You guys already kicked <laughs> me out. Like, what? Well, I got nothing to talk about. So I, I go to school and they're like, look, your name has been entered to become a part of this last chance program. And this is your only opportunity. So you either take this and you say yes now or good luck with the rest of your life. And so I, I decide to go it for it. I do the last chance program. Um, I start learning some skills. I actually, during this time, I put a restraining order on my mother and my stepfather. Wow. And you can see it on my report card. It's on the Internet. This is not a joke. I made straight A's. Whoa. And and so I'm captain of, like, the football team, wrestling team. I'm dating a cheerleader. Like, my life is totally different. And And then my mom gets through this rehab program. My grandmother allows her to move back in. Within a month, my mom is hiding pill bottles, drinking gallons of vodka, crashing her car. And like clockwork, you can watch my grades go from straight A's to straight F's. And what I didn't realize, of course, I understand now is like she was back in her traumatic experience living with Mm -hmm. my grandmother again. And so at one point, as I'm 18 years old, my mom attacks me in the middle of the night and I defend myself and I tell her, if you ever touch me again, I'll kill you. And I'm, I literally meant that. Like, I mean, I suffered so much at her hands. Like, I was like, this is the last time you ever touch me. And I said, I will never talk to you again. Wow. And until the day she died, I didn't. Except, I think, one time. And and the only reason I'm here talking to you guys today is because I held that boundary. And it was the hardest decision an 18-year-old will ever make. And so I found myself in some really weird positions as I'm going through my late teens, um, trying to figure out life. And I end up not graduating high school. Um, my business teacher, irony of all ironies, fails me. And uh, <laughs> Of course, that's up, like the standard line. <laughs> of course, right? And I go up to him, and my girlfriend calls me. She's like, hey, you're not graduating. I was like, oh, no, right? Because you don't want to be the biggest loser, And I was, well, guys, I was the biggest loser. Like I was so embarrassed. My girlfriend was embarrassed of me. My family's embarrassed of me. It's literally impossible not to graduate from this high school. And yet I figured out a way to do it. And so (laughs) I go up to his classroom and I say, how dare you fail me? And he goes, I didn't fail you. You failed yourself. And Mm. then then he told me the most important thing anyone's ever told me. He said, if you want something in life, you have to earn it. You can't get by on your charms and your good looks. So I go to summer school. I get uninvited from every graduation party. All my friends stop talking to me. I'm in this summer school. And this teacher comes up to me three weeks in, and he goes, you know what? We're done with you. We're going to give you your diploma at the end of this. We're done. And I was like, this is the opposite of why I'm here. And so I'm like, all right, what do I do? And I'm just I'm simply trying to figure out life. I'm I'm working a warehouse job, putting microchips into motherboards every day, 12 hours a day, watching the desperation in people's eyes. Like this assembly line, you know what I'm saying? Like this is where dreams go to die. And I got fired uh, probably because I was stoned. And so I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting in my car and I'm like, all right, time out. Hold on a second. What is the solution for poverty, for homelessness, for abuse, for all this suffering? I was like, it's money. It's got to be. What else could it be? And I made a declaration of myself. I said, by the time I'm 21, I want to make $100,000 a year legally. 
Now, the legal part was incredibly important because I have been handcuffed multiple times. I have family in prison for life, multiple people. And as of today, my three childhood best friends have been murdered. Mm. So I knew where I was going. I knew it. And so I made that decision, and I just started leveraging skills, learning stuff. I fell into a leadership role at about 18 and a half at a fast food joint, had 52 people under me. We were doing a million dollars a year in burgers and fries, and I made every leadership mistake known to man, because what do you think (laughs) 18-year-olds do with other 18-year-olds? And and I, I was like, this is not the path. And one of my friends, I was chatting on MySpace with him to age myself, and he's like, I just got a brand new Tahoe. And I was like, well, you're the same dummy who used to get stoned and skip school with me, so how did you do it? And... And my eyes opened to the first time ever. This is probably one of the most pivotal moments of my life to the possibility of what you can do. He says, I got a job at an insurance company. And I was like, boom, just completely. My, I didn't know you could do that. Like, mm. I didn't know that was possible because all I knew was buy here, pay here, repos and evictions, working assembly line jobs. That was my reality. And so I said, that's the path to 100,000. And so for the next two years, all I did was get rejected hundreds of times. Do interviews. Nope. Do phone calls. Nope. Blah, blah, blah. And I end up, right as I'm about to turn 21, I land a job with a Fortune 10 company. No high school diploma. No college education. And and I flub on this. And a couple weeks ago, I pulled up my old W-2. Because I was like, did I really make 100000 or did I make that up? And so I pulled (laughs) up my old W-2 and... At 21 years old, I made $96,800. Wow. Nice. And, and the thing that happened with that is it destroyed my life because I was making money. I was blowing it all. Yeah. I was 350 pounds, smoking two packs a day, drinking myself to sleep, high mm. from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to bed, sabotaging every relationship, suicidal, like you name it. Yeah. And at, at 25, heading into 26, I, I hit my massive rock bottom and I'm laying in bed one day. It's 11 o'clock in the morning. Keep in mind, I'm 350 fucking pounds. I'm eating chocolate cake, smoking a joint, and watching the CrossFit games. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yo, if that's not rock bottom, I have no idea what is. And I pulled myself up off that bed, which didn't even have a frame. I was sitting on the floor because I was waste. I was 40 grand in debt. Oh, forgot to tell you that. <laughs> and so I'm... <laughs> That's almost like adding insult to injury at that point. (laughs) It it was just nonsense. And so I go in the bathroom. I'm looking at myself in the mirror, and I remember being eight years old. And the water company had come and turned our water off. (sighs) They were always turning off our water, our heat, our electricity, our power, getting eviction notices. And for whatever day, whatever reason, this blistering hot Indiana summer day, I go in the backyard. I grab this little blue bucket. And I walk across the street to our neighbor's house. And for the first time, I stole water. Wow. And I remember being like, when I'm a grown-up, this won't be my life. Hmm. And it wasn't in a lot of ways, but I was still that hurt, lost little boy. Yeah. 
And as I looked in the mirror, I asked myself, what are you willing to do to have the life that you want to have? The answer was no excuses, just results. And what that meant is I was no longer going to negotiate with myself. I was no longer going to be a victim. And I was no longer going to blame the world for Michael's problems. And and clarify one point. When you say you weren't willing to negotiate with yourself, what did that mean? Well, think about this. Every single day we are faced with doing the thing that we know we need to do. Your heart, your spirit, your soul, it keeps you awake at night. You're like, if I just did this, my stupid life would be better. Mm. But we torture ourselves. Mm. And I said, I will no longer do that. And so whatever needs to be done, I will die. I will do, right? And you hear this old quote. I cannot remember who said it. I want to say Emerson, but I'm probably wrong. He said, a coward dies a thousand deaths. A man of courage dies one time. Mm-hmm. And I was dying a thousand deaths every single day, putting it off, hiding from it, running from it, stuffing it down, pretending it wasn't there. And so I just went deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And almost 12 years later, here I am talking to you. Wow. My God. <laughs> that's, that's an that's amazing even, story. That's even more traumatic than the profile. <laughs> the profile that I read of you was bad enough. Yeah, but that story's like, okay, can I just go kill myself now? <laughs> that <laughs> that is just incredible. Wow. I, I don't know how else to, to react to that except to say congratulations for climbing out of it. Because yeah. that, yeah. that's one hell of an accomplishment. Well, it took uh, it took a thousand rock bottoms. Like that's the thing people don't understand. I don't want anyone ever to believe that for one second this was easy, and it's the hardest thing I've ever done. And you know, when I was twenty six to thirty, man, it was a a step forward and a million steps backwards. Mm. It was iteration after iteration, failure after failure, lesson after lesson. Like screw up after screw up because I was just here's the thing like people don't understand this about trauma abuse and the things that we go through in our childhood causation and correlation is everything in life mm-hmm. and for me it you know it's not this finger that I've had six surgeries on it's not the cuts and the burns on my body that's not the stuff that like haunted me right it was the theft of my identity you mm-hmm. learn how to not be you to be safe. Yeah. Right. Because what's the brain's purpose? It's very simple. Very simple. Survival. That's it. That's the only thing it does. And so when you're faced in these environments and the thing that you do is try to be yourself and you do that in a way in which on the outside of it, there's negative ramifications, abuse, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, religiously, sexually. Right. Every time you try to be you, well, your brain says, hold on, wait, 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 wait. If I'm me, I get hurt. Well, why would I want to be me? And so what you do, you start to placate, you start to bend, you start to chameleon yourself to the world. And and the sad part about that is that actually keeps you safe for a period of time Mm -hmm. when you're 8, 12, 17 years old. And then when you're 26, 35, 57, you don't know how to be you because you've never done it. And you're learning in real time. And whereas children who grow up in safe environments have the ability to learn in real time with support and compassion and love and grace and empathy, 
where when they make a mistake, their head doesn't get slammed into a wall. They get to understand who they are in the developmental phase in the spot in which you should be learning who you are. If you come from my background, well, guess what? Right. You bend, you chameleon, you don't be who you are for safety. And then when you're 26 and you hit rock bottom, you go, holy shit, I have no idea who I am. And when you start stepping into that, the thing that happens is in real time, when there's a lot on the line, you're learning about who you are. And if you're willing to face the inevitability of the failures that come along with that, what you will discover is you can build resiliency and confidence through continually doing difficult and uncomfortable things. And so from 26 to basically 30 years old, and even still to today, to be honest with you, but especially in that pocket, it was just doing it again and again and again and again and again. And in that, slowly learning who I was while trying to navigate the reality that I was building around myself of just simply trying to get to one conclusion. Can I be okay with the reflection in the mirror? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, as you tell your story, I mean, I totally get and agree with with everything that you've been saying so far. One thing just kind of jumps out at me, though. And it jumps out in a huge, huge way. Yes, certainly you had this horrible, terrible situation, this this awful experience, and it was your life, and you climbed out of it. But to me, the biggest part of it is you climbed out of it not with not not just without mentorship or coaches who could give you a model of what to climb out of, how to climb out of it. But even worse than that, all of your models were models on how not to climb out on how not to get ahead, on how not to have a life, on how not to feel good about yourself. And you found a way to do it anyway. That's impressive. Mm -hmm. That's really impressive. One of the things that is true about who I am to my core is that I love to learn. Like, I really do. I hated school because I didn't want to learn that stuff. It made no sense to me. I was like, why do I got to learn stuff that I have no interest in? But I would go to the library all the time as a little kid, which was around the corner from my house for two reasons. One, they had air conditioning. (laughs) And two, because it was a place where I could be safe, at least until 7 o'clock when they closed. And I would just sit there and I would read all day long. And, like, most kids bury themselves in fiction. I can't stand it. Even to this day, I can't. And Mm -hmm. And as a kid, I would be reading books about athletes and musicians and business people. I would be reading books about all of these things. And and it still wasn't like solidifying into me like possibility. It was just always sitting and thinking like these guys did it. So maybe one day I can too. And and Mm -hmm. that's the only thing I ever thought about. And what happened was like when I'm in my 20s, um, my points of measurement for possibility was – really media and looking at like trying to figure out what it meant to be a man through hip hop culture, through movies, through my Uh friends and, and none of those things support now my idea and understanding of what being a man means. Right. And so it was very different then because my number one thought was, okay, if I go make money, people like me. If I wear custom suits and I drive an $85,000 car, everything I did, Walt was for everybody else was not for me. 
Mm. And, and what happened was this pivotal turning point happened. And, and I blame, I don't blame, that's not probably the right word. I, I, I commend a lot of this to being an entrepreneur. Like I truly do because I was sitting and learning from entrepreneurs online. And this is prior to like podcasts and stuff. You know, this is online courses and webinars and like phone webinars where you'd have to dial in. Right. And I would do that kind of stuff and I would just listen and one day it hit me. I, I, it was a little bit prior to being on um, Ask Gary V show almost seven years ago. I was, I was like, hold on. These guys and girls and women and men, they all have something in common. They all own who they are unapologetically. Mm-hmm. And that was the thing that I did not do. Yeah. And that was the thing that I so desperately wanted. And so the influence, yes, correct. I did not have those mentors and coaches and those models growing up, but I kind of did because you I was found always them. learning. Yeah. Right? And, and it was through being the learner that has kind of led me here. And when I got deep into my mentor, Tom Bilyeu's work, like everything really shifted. Right. And so for six years of like working with that dude, getting him buried in my brain, having conversations with him that changed my life forever. The, the one thing I always tell people, like in the beginning, I, I could not be in connection with someone like that. I wasn't ready. I wasn't vibing on that level to work with, mm-hmm. you know, somebody like Grant Cardone, who has become a business partner and invested in Think Unbroken to work with guys like Tony Robbins, where I'm in his mentorship program. Like, dude, in the beginning, I wouldn't spend five dollars on the fucking book. Like, seriously. Right. And now I'm like, well, how do I spend five million dollars? You know, and so it's you have to be willing to step into recognizing one of the really uncomfortable truths about mindset. And that is often and this was my case and, and I won't pass judgment on people, but instead I'll just explain my reality. I would always be like, this is just who I am. When I was in the Mm -hmm. negativity, the drama, the chaos, the low vibrating frequencies of the human experience. And when you say this is just who I am, it's the ultimate fixed mindset because Mm -hmm. there's no space to step into anything else. And I I realized like that's really dumb. Like it really Mm -hmm. truly is because when you exist in that scope, then that means that you are never going to be open to possibility. And one of the greatest things that I've done, I just paused and I said, you know what? Maybe it's more important for me to be the dumbest person in the room moving forward. And what do you mean by that? Because there's a specific meaning you have in mind. Well, in general, I don't, you know, I don't want to be, and this is not to be offensive, I swear to God. And I know somebody's going to email me. It happens every time I say this. (laughs) It just does. It just does. But I'm not trying to be offensive. I do not want to be around low vibrating people. Okay. I don't. And I don't want to be around people where I can be the one who always has the best ideas, who's the smartest person, who's the one that has the good. I need uh, to be around people like you and Daniel and Alex and people who are like, you're vibing up here. And I don't know that. And I need to learn that. So I need to be in that room. I need to be learning from those people, reading their books, going to their conferences, listening to their podcasts, enveloping myself in their information. Because if you're like, you know, this is so true. You hear this all the time. Go look at the people you're around. Like, that's who you are. Whether you like it or not, it's true. So if you're around people, like when I was 25 years old, 
chain smoking cigarettes, doing cocaine, drinking every night, spending money in bars, living a lavish, fast lifestyle, spending no effort or energy into personal development. That'll be the world you live in. And then if you change that and you shift it and you go, and look, this is the hard part because all of those people of my life who have served me for a purpose in the seasons I've lived, I love them. Like I wouldn't be here without them. Mm. And people hear this kind of stuff and they go, you just throw people away. No. I go, look, I'm, I'm going here. So you can come with me. But if you're staying there, enjoy base camp, bro. I ain't mm. coming back down there. I'm not. And, and that's one of the hardest realities of a conversation like this is, you know, at some point for you to explode into the stratosphere, you've got to unshackle yourself from the tethers of what's holding you on the surface. That's really great. Wow. Yeah. It, what, what, one of the things that mo- most impresses me, and there's like a list about 25 items long, but one of the things that near the top of that list about the story that you've told and about you is it, it wasn't really it wasn't part of the way you told the story, but it was evident through the story. You became intuitive. You said, I'm going to go what feels like the right direction for me. And, and, and that's a hard decision to make, mm-hmm. especially when you don't have the guidance, the influencers, the people to, to point you in that direction. You found a way to go there. Yeah. Man, you have my heartiest congratulations. That is a fabulous achievement. I truly mean that. That's fabulous. Thank you. That's the thing I'm always trying to teach people. Like, if you listen to your gut, you'll never be wrong. Think about this, how many times your gut was like, yo, don't hang out with that person. Don't go on that date. Don't get in that business partnership. Mm. And then a month later, you're like, ah, I knew it. It's about honoring that. And when I was young, one of the greatest things about my childhood is that living with all of those strangers getting bounced around for those four years, being upside down, never knowing where I'm landing. Like I learned how to read people really well. It was survival. I had to, I didn't know what your intentions are. Cause Walt, real talk. Like sometimes I knew if I went to sleep that night, something bad would happen. Right. You have to be able to sure. learn that. You have to be able I, to I don't even know how you that. went to sleep, to be honest. Most of the I'll, times I, most times I didn't, I'd massive yeah. insomnia until I was like 26 years old. Right. And so, um, in those moments, it. it was looking at and making meaning of it and trying to honor my, whatever I thought was real. But what happened also in that is that I learned something really interesting about people. They all will tell you exactly who they are. If you're paying attention. Yeah. And, right. And, mm-hmm. so, and so I, I just started paying more attention and listening to my gut, my, my friend Gary Brecka said something that really hit me hard uh, a couple of years ago. He said, the highest vibrating frequency known to man is authenticity. Mm-hmm. And so when you're vibing back and forth with something, you feel it. You're like, man, I'm here. I'm present with this. But if something's off, you know it and you feel it. And, and I'll give you a great example of that intuition saving my life. When I was 18, and this is, uh, you know, around this not graduating high school time, my best friend, literally my best friend, I never share this story, but I think it's important because I'm, I'm going to point to what you just said. My best friend, my brother, we did everything together, comes up to me. He goes, hey, man, I got a line on some cocaine up in Noblesville, mm-hmm. which is about 45 minutes of north of where we were. 
also per capita probably more cops in that area than any other part of the whole state. <laughs> of course, yes. <laughs> and and he says, look, man, I need you to drive up there with me. I'm going to run in. I'm going to come out. I just need you to look out. And uh, to this day, I'll never understand why. But I stood out my screen door on the backyard on the side of my house, and I looked at my best friend, and I told him no. And that night, after he went and picked up these drugs, he got pulled over by the cops for a missing taillight. And you see, he was a minor. I was not. Oh, yeah. But if I would have been in that car, I would still be in prison. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and there's something so incredibly important about trusting yourself in this journey, in the day-to-day, -day, in your relationships, in your career, in your friendships, in intimacy, and in everything, and not, this comes back to my point about negotiating, and not negotiating with yourself about it. Because if you sit in your truth, you're going to know everything that you need to know about what you need to do next. And sometimes that involves hurting people's feelings. And it's not because we want to, and it's not because we're assholes. It's because we have to put ourselves first. And we live mm -hmm. in this very backward society where everyone always says, make sure you put other people first. You serve yourself last because you have to be this amazing, altruistic, philanthropic human being, when in reality, that's not true. What you actually need to do is to own and honor your truth and your reality first so that other people can grow alongside with you. And, mm. and that's one of the hardest realities of this journey. Mm. I think there's the whole thing of like you've got to be in service to be of service. And, and so often those of us, I was just speaking to my friend about this literally just before we hopped on today. Like when you get into a situation where you've just given and given and given of yourself at some point, you're going to hit a point where resentment kicks in. At some point, mm -hmm. you're going to blow up. At some point, you're going to self-sabotage. And also, you can't give the best to others if you're only half full yourself anyway. So that's definitely a truth. Um, definitely a truth there. Yeah. And, and my hope is that people would honor that and just simply say, I don't have to give 100% of myself to people. And, and your point about resentment is so true. And you know where that comes from? It comes from expectation. You mm -hmm, sit here, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you sit here and you go, I'm going to give, 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 give. And then it's like, aren't you going to give back? Aren't you going to give me mine? <laughs> where, where, where's my cookie? Where's where's my cookie? <laughs> right. And, and if you want to avoid resentment, it's so incredibly important that you're operating through the really what I believe is the fulfillment of delivering value. That's yeah. it. If you mm -hmm. want to make somebody's life better, make somebody's life better. You don't need to record it and put it on TikTok. Mm. You, you, might some, you might go viral. Great. Okay. And, <laughs> and cool. Your payments for five minutes. I, well, you know what? I, I, I think there's a space in which that is needed because we live in this really low vibrating frequency world right now. Mm. But I think the problem with that is that that altruism is not real. That space mm. of I'm going to give well, hey, let me record it with my phone. Hey, watch me give this homeless guy $200. Oh, I feel really good about myself. That's not right? necessary. Mm -hmm. We don't need to do that. The, the mm. universe will take care of you when you're doing good things. 
the virality of that comes very simply because we live in a society that is so downtrodden, that is so fast to cancel you, that is so quick to point you out. This is really funny. I do a social experiment. If you guys are ever feeling brave, you can try this. What you do is you post, I'm serious because it's going to be interesting. When those words come out of your mouth, all of a sudden I'm worried. Like, okay. You should be because I'm going to tell you why. You take the most polarizing thing that you've ever said and you post it on social media. Oh, and for 24 hours, you buckle the fuck up because you're going <laughs> to get destroyed. You're going to get canceled. You're going to get hate emails. You're going to get unsubscribed. You're going to get people telling you not to ever be someone who's of service again. But at hour 25, they won't care anymore. Yeah. And and that's the thing about this. It's, you can do a million good things, but you be polarizing one time. Make one mistake, oh, perfect person, and watch you get flamed. And that's the problem with society right now is like you don't – you can be of service, but you have to understand something. Being of service also means standing for something. And when you stand for something, that means not bending to the will of other people and placating them because you're scared. Because I'm telling you, I do it all the time. I do it all the time just to see what happens. And I lose followers and people email me, but it's about holding true to my, I believe in this so much. I'm willing to put it out there. And if you want to cancel me, you can try, but I'm uncancelable. I'm not going to be canceled because <laughs> you don't like me. Because guess what? When you grow up like I grew up, I don't give two shits about the way that you think about me. What I care mm -hmm. about is how I feel about myself when I go look in that mirror. Yeah. And that's everything. That is everything. And people are going to cancel me just for saying that. They're not what's, an example, what's an example of something polarized that you've uh, used for your experience? Where's my buckle? Where's my buckle? There's, there's, <laughs> put your mouthpiece mouth in. Um, no, the, the tr so a little bit into COVID, I wrote a very simple thing. I said, there are people who are going to find success in this time. And there are people who are going to waste it. And at the end of this, we're going to find out who did what. Wow, that's not all that controversial. That's really interesting. Yeah, not really. <laughs> it's not. But, you know, people destroyed me for it. It's a pandemic. I was like, so? Every day is a pandemic. Life is chaos. Life hurt all the time. And if you're, like, sitting at home watching Netflix, you guys know. You all know somebody who did this. They got the government check. They watched Netflix for two years. And now their life is a disaster. Mm -hmm. And COVID was the hardest thing that happened to some people, which is heartbreaking. It's devastating. I lost people in my life over it. Like, there's nothing fun about it. It's not laughable. Like, it sucks, right? But every day that happens, every mm. single day. And it's like this time that we're given on this earth, if you waste it. And look, I'm the guy who I spent. There's a video game called, I think I told you this, Daniel. There's a video game called Diablo 2 that came out in the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. And I put 2,000 hours of gaming time Woo! into that. Oh, my goodness. Go look at my life, right? And and being polarized, standing on those, those, those platforms, like, it's okay if people don't like you. It's okay. It's fine. Not everybody's – we – between the four of us, I guarantee we can find a reason not to like each other. <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee it. We, we stay in this conversation long enough, we can find it. 
But that doesn't mean I'm not going to value your thoughts and your opinions and your feelings and be able to sit and have an open discourse about it, knowing that it's not – here's the problem. People are always seeking resolution. I want you to come over to my side. I'm like, Mm -hmm. no, I just want to understand why you think that way. That's it. And and that's the thing. You know, I think about that in this trauma scope too. It's like if you can just understand – how you got to where you are and why you behave the way that you behave and do the things that you do, well, now you can start to create change around that. And the reason I post things that are polarizing on the Internet is because I want people to just think about it for a second. Life Mm -hmm. is not this beautiful, crystal clear ocean every single day. Sometimes it's stormy, and sometimes your boat gets smashed against the deck. And in that, you have to ask yourself, am I willing to go and right side it to get back on and continue to move towards my destination. I especially love how you were just talking about you, you. You were saying something that you say it differently from the way I say it, from the way I talk about it here on the show. But it was essentially the same message that you value perspective and you value the people behind the perspectives. You don't have to agree with everything that they say, but uh-huh. you can find common ground for agreement and you can find it in the perspective, even if it's perspective you didn't like. That, I mean, I, man, I'm totally on board with that. I think that's wonderful. Yeah, I think it's important because we're if you trace the lineage back enough, like, and this is true because effectively we're all atoms at the end of the day, but if you trace it back in your genealogy, at some point every single one of us is connected. Yeah. Now you might have to go back a bazillion years, but we're all brothers <laughs> and sisters, right? We're all brothers and sisters. Why are you going to war with your brothers and sisters? Mm -hmm. Mm. Why? So you get to say, I was right. Nobody cares anyway. Just be okay with the fact that everyone's different. Everyone has a different opinion. Everyone has a different thought. I mean, think about this. I'm I'm the guy sitting here tattooed head to toe. I'm six foot four. I got gold in my nose, around my neck. I live a lifestyle that's who I am. And people will be like, what does this guy know about kindness? (laughs) And I'm like, everything. (laughs) I thought you were tall. I didn't know you were 6'4", Mike. I knew you were probably tall. You've got a tall look about you. Yeah, man. Can't dunk, though. (laughs) (laughs) If if it makes you feel better, I'm 6'8", and I can't dunk either. So, you know. (laughs) Well, I couldn't about 30 years ago, I might have had a chance. At 65, I don't have enough leap to go three inches. You guys are just wasting your height. I'd be dunking everything. That would have been my primary directive. My height's for martial arts, man. I got wingspan. There you go. There you go. Wingspan counts. It really does. Yeah. But what counts even more is perspective. Oh, my God. (laughs) You can't lay out the of this. This is great. Five foot eight and change. You guys out here. A full foot above me, and you're not touching the rim. Daniel, it's time to let go, buddy. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I'll go do some healing around that. <laughs> you got to change that narrative, man. <laughs> it's okay, Daniel. I feel you. I'm the smallest person in my family. Yeah, but your family's all like 20 foot tall, so I don't really You're right. Counts, Alex. I was just letting go. I was just letting go, Alex. Please. <laughs> <laughs> we always end up giggling on this show. Even, uh, even, well, go, even coming through such a dark story, we, we end up giggling at the end. You, you got to be able to laugh, man. You know, I tell mm-hmm. people this all the time. Like, 
you know, even in my telling your story, I'm laughing telling it. It's dark, you know, and I, you know, it's interesting. I don't, I don't know if I've ever told anybody this on a show before. I cut my teeth doing public speaking, doing stand up comedy. That's my background. Wow. Because these stories are so dark. I would just be like, I'm going to go make people laugh at my suffering. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it made me a good public speaker. And it's like, you, like, Yes, you have to take life seriously, like you really do, but it can also be fun and enjoying and, you know, you can have a a lot of like joy in it. You can laugh at it. And I think if I think it's the seriousness of our society that makes it so polarizing right now. Right. It's like if you can just laugh, it's crazy. Not only the way that it impacts your literal physical brain and the chemical release in that and it's serotonin and dopamine and it makes you feel good, but also you kind of get a sit and go, yeah, maybe it wasn't that serious. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. some, some, there's some things yeah. I'll never laugh at, like for sure. Like there are some things that eh, probably don't need space for joking about, but mm-hmm. there's maybe like three things I can think of. Everything else, it's like there, there's always a little cloud of hilarity in it because you go – we're all humans having a human experience, making massively human mistakes. And it's like, can we just let go of it? Can we just be okay with the fact that we're all screwed up? <laughs> well, especially since we, we can all, we all get to choose what we're going to laugh at. You know, so if we don't want to laugh at A, but we're willing to laugh at B, then focus on B. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really that straightforward. So, I mean, like you say, we, we have this tremendous ability to do so much good for ourselves by by focusing on humor, by focusing on stuff that feels good to us. But I also want to throw in, we also have an effect on others too. Yes. Because when we're in that space, when, when we're able to bring ourselves, particularly coming out of a dark space, one of the darkest you went through, I, I, I can even barely begin to imagine it, to be honest. But when we come out of that kind of space and we can find a space to be humorous and to feel good and to, to feel joyful, that's contagious. And do you know what else it creates? The thing that people don't really ever connect the dots on between two people or one person and multiple people or groups. The thing that it creates is empathy. Yeah. Well, sure. Right. Yeah. Empathy. Cause you get to sit in there and you go, I resonate. I get that. I connect to that. And, and I think if we can be more empathetic with each other, and just, again, it's about the humility of being willing to just step back a little bit and go, I get it. I didn't live it, but I get it. Mm-hmm. How interesting that empathy comes out of feeling good. It's not the way people often associate it, but it comes out of feeling mm-hmm. good. Yeah. yeah. You don't get too much empathy. You, you don't find too much empathy by feeling miserable. In fact, you usually feel alone. Right. Alex, you've been uh, jumping in quite a bit on this, which is which I'm loving, by the way. I'm, I'm curious to know. I, I have a pretty good idea, actually. But I want to ask anyway. Talk <laughs> about talk about your impression about Michael's story and Michael himself. What do you What are you thinking right now? I think he's a very good storyteller. I en- yeah. I enjoyed the. I mean, even though it was about trauma, I still yeah. enjoyed the story. Yeah, me too. He's an excellent storyteller. And mm-hmm. well, I, this is all, this is unfair because Dan already knows. Some, I mean, they've been on shows, podcasts, <laughs> and so forth. Yeah, so like this is like this is home field advantage is what it is. But mm-hmm. Daniel, what's your impression? Well, I think it was great to see because I've I've listened to interviews of Michael in other places. I follow him on social media. I like to watch his content. Um, um, 
and I've interviewed him and been interviewed by him, but I've not been in this dynamic where I've actually been in the room where he's being interviewed. So that was interesting to mm. see. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's always fun. Whatever and there's, and there's, a, I think there's something, I mean, when you're doing the kind of work that we do, you know, you should know your story so that you can tell your story and know your things or whatever. But you can tell when someone's telling a story that they're telling a story. You can tell when someone's telling a story that, mm-hmm. that they're living. There's a difference between the two. And it was great to have that experience of the authenticity of Michael's telling in a different framework. That was interesting. Mm. Because it is authentic. There's no doubt yeah, about that. It's real. Yeah. yeah, it's real. It's true. It feels real. And mm. I, I'm still sitting, I'll, I'll tell you, Michael, I go back to what I said at the very top of the show when you first started telling the story and I gave my first reaction. I'm still sitting here in shock that you were able to climb through all that. I, I The level of how impressed I am has not yet been met. It, it's just, I, I'm just, I'm incredibly impressed with you. You are an impressive human being. Blown away. Are. Well, and thank you to all you guys. I mean, that means a lot to me, but you know, it, it all comes down to, again, like that. I'm telling you, if you go put yourself in front of that mirror and you look at yourself in the eyes, you're going to find out everything you need to know. Mm-hmm. And, and in that process and in the growth, what starts to happen is just slowly, but surely, cause you know, I looked at myself at 27, even though I was a little bit into doing this journey at that point. And I realized I had no confidence. I had no self-esteem. I didn't believe in myself. I was working a minimum wage job because, like, I needed to support my my growing business. And, you know, at one point, borrowing money from my girlfriend to pay rent. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Trying to grow yeah. that. And, 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 sh- and having a photography studio at one point where I was making, like, freaking $20 a shoot to mm-hmm. 15 grand on a Saturday. And, and the way that you build confidence, like I really, if anybody takes anything from this, I hope it'll be what I'm about to say. If you want to build confidence in your life, challenge the narrative of the reality of the person that you think that you are by doing incredibly difficult things that make you uncomfortable consistently. Mm-hmm. And as you do that, you will start to understand what you're made of. Right. And, and I think a lot of it also has to do with the physical endeavor of it. Right. Can you challenge yourself to not smoke, not drink, not get high, to eat well, to move away from copious amounts of porn and gummy bears and chocolate cake and hanging out with your friends at the barbecue all day and not really pushing yourself physically? Right. Can you can you challenge yourself? And at the beginning, you know, I'll tell you, you don't get to 350 pounds by accident. It takes a lot no. of hard work, actually. Believe it, or not. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It's quite the accomplishment. It is. Thank That's you. right. And so it's all the porn and gummy bears. That's what it, it is. Hundred percent. Which also is a great name for a podcast. And so when I, <laughs> when I am when I look back at it now, way I like I weighed myself this morning. I'm two twelve. That's a human being lost. Mm. And and in my first book, I wrote. I took the old Michael out behind the shed and i killed him literally you have have to kill your demons you have to and the only way you kill them is by facing them and by doing so with grace and compassion and empathy for self and finding support along the way and recognizing that you can't do this alone like weight is a good measurement for a conversation like this because it's tangible for most people but in that what happened is it started as this very, very small trickle, 
that turned into a waterfall. And it started with me in my living room doing yoga on DVDs by myself and then forcing myself. I actually literally just had the, the photo pop up the other day, eight years ago, being the only dude in a room full of sweaty, hot women doing hot yoga and me <laughs> telling my brain, go do hot yoga because you have seen the impact that it's had on other people's lives. And to stand at the threshold, I'll never forget this, stand at the threshold of the doorway of walking into that hot yoga studio for the first time, terrified. Mm. I've had a gun in my face, and it wasn't as scary as walking into hot yoga the first time. Wow. And having, why, why do you think that was? i got to interrupt for a second. Why do you think that was scarier? Because that's an important because point, I believe. Because it was like 350 pounds, and mm. there's all these fit, strong, pretty people. And then there's me. And in that moment, I made a declaration to myself that really, really solidified my original statement of no excuses, just results. And, and what it was in that moment was do it anyway. And that's the place where people fall off is they don't do it. They go tomorrow. I'll hit the gym tomorrow. I'll change the diet tomorrow. I'll quit smoking tomorrow. Well, guess what? I don't know about you, but I don't have any calendar that promises that I get tomorrow. The only mm -hmm. thing that I know, the only thing that I know is that I'm alive right now. And if you can change your relationship with time and death, you will change the way that you operate in the world because inevitably it's coming. You don't know when. I pray you get a long and healthy life. But I also know that's probably not the case for most of us. And so if you keep living your life like you get tomorrow, one thing's going to happen that I can promise you. You're going to die with regret. Mm. Mm. And that is a life unlived. So stop waiting for tomorrow. Start pushing yourself. Like the truth about this, you might have to put your foot in your own ass for a minute. Mm. Truthfully. And that's a hard truth because we live in a, a coddling society right now. And they'll be like, well, this guy's talking about childhood trauma. What is he talking? He doesn't because I lived it, man. I lived it every day of the space in which I didn't show up. And if you want to continue not to show up, I promise you, I can tell you exactly where your life's going to be. But if you're willing to push and to stand at the threshold of that doorway, then that doorway doesn't have to be hot yoga. That doorway, that doorway can be starting the podcast, leaving the relationship, starting the side hustle leaving the city you grew up in, right? All of those things are the doorway to what's next. And it's what keeps you awake at night. And if every single night you put your head on the pillow and you are just destroyed with your own thoughts about the decisions you must make, that is the threshold to what's next. And until you do that, you will die a thousand deaths. And they aren't fun. <laughs> Not one of them. Every single one of them. There's misery. That is an absolute truth. I want to ask you a little bit more on the time that we have remaining about uh, the word that you just used, because it's one we talk about a lot. You talked about relationships. You've talked about it in terms of, particularly in terms of relationship with yourself, but also in relationship with your fears, with, with the false sense of yourself that, that you were talking about, killing that false sense of yourself. Um, but Tie in also relationship to others. How do how does relationship to others fit in? It's everything. It's literally everything. You know, and, and very much how Daniel consumes my content, like I consume his content too. Right? We're we're a community. Right? You 
I talk about the three C's a lot, so I think this will be kind of easy segue. Three C's are this, community, connection, commitment. That's about people, community. The first thing I always ask myself is, who am I around? Who are the people I'm around? Last night, I was having um, some time with some of my closest guy friends. These guys could not be any more of an opposite of the guy friends that were my friends in my 20s. We weren't drinking. We weren't getting high. We weren't talking about all the people we've had sex with. We were talking about intimacy and compassion and love for each other. We were talking about finances and business and personal development, the conferences we're going to, the physical challenges that we're moving in. The community that you're around is everything. And the thing, coming back to what I said earlier, like people don't want you to change. They just don't. And Jay-Z has my favorite quote of all time. He says, the people around you saying that you changed – well, I didn't do all this work to stay the same. Stay the same. And, and that's what this life is about, the continuation of the willingness to, like, go and find the right people because the people are everything. And so when you have that community first, you have to look at it and assess it and go, is this a community? Is this a community that is going to lead me to where I need to go? Right? Are they going to support me? Are they going to pull me up? Are they going to effectively call me out on my bullshit? Right? Because you need mm -hmm. the connection aspect of it is making sure that the connection is authentic. Right? Because just because you're in a community doesn't mean you're in the right one. And so you have to make sure that the connection is about authenticity and and truth and honesty and in a way that is about really, really being able to be yourself amongst a room of people who are really, really willing to be able to be themselves. And then the last part of it is commitment. And, and commitment is such a strong word because we live in a throwaway society, right? It's really easy. Again, going back to this cancel idea, right? If you say you're going to do something, you have to do it, right? Think about hmm. this, this, this conversation we're having today. I have all the reasons in the world. I could think of about 58 reasons today why I could have been like, ah, we'll do it next time. <laughs> you have to commit to what you say you're going to do with the people in your life because they're going to reciprocate that to you. And I ask myself this question all the time, especially from a business-minded perspective. If I don't keep my commitment to myself, how will my clients ever believe that I will keep my commitment to them? Mm. And so – truth. So people and the way you think about people and engage with people and connect with people is literally everything. Wow, really, really powerful there. One of the things also that goes along with uh, the relationship um, topic, I think, particularly in this context, is that in your early years, your relationships were all terribly counterproductive. And you have evolved your life, you've evolved yourself, to a point now where it's a completely different life from what you experienced then. And your relationships have a completely different meaning compared to what you experienced then. I'm wondering, does that actually help you to value the relationships more? Oh, 100%. Because when I'm, in, when I'm thinking about the people that I'm in connection with now, the thing that we bond over, it's not the game. It's not high fives and alcohol. It's not sex or money. It's about truth. And when you can connect with someone in truth and you're vibrating at that level of authenticity, it actually creates love. Think about that for a second. It creates love.
it creates this beautiful energy of light, this place in which you can come together and feel like I'm not going to be judged about what I say or who I am or the tattoos on my hands or whatever that thing is. And, and that only comes from making sure you're in the right connection because we've all had this experience where we told someone our dream and they just shit on it. Mm. And they just go, um, you? Yeah, come on, man. Come on. Look, I'll, I'll put it this way. I'll, I'll, I love my friends from my 20s. I've said that a couple of times now. When I told them I was leaving the Fortune 10 company, every one of them, literally every one of them told me the same thing. They said, you're crazy. You're never going to be successful again. You're never going to ever be able to do You don't have a high school diploma, and you're making more money than us. You're out of your mind. And I said this. I'm going to follow my heart because I believe that I'm capable of doing this. And now I think about the people I'm in connection with, and I'll be like, hey, I got this idea. I'm building this company. And they'll go, that's awfully small. You sure you don't want to go bigger? <laughs> it's a very different world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Very then different. saying that is about going, are you sure you're doing as much as you can? Yeah. So you have managed to surround yourself with not just an external world, but an internal world that th the way you look at it is, is constantly challenging you to be a better you. Constantly challenging you to say, what more, what more are you looking to do with your life? What more are you looking to get out of your life? What more, what, where, what's the next step for you? So I'm going to ask the question, what's the next step for you, Michael? Yeah, well, look, at the end of the day, my mission is very simple, and it's to end generational trauma in my lifetime through education and information so another kid doesn't have a story like mine. Wow. So wow. what does that mean? I got to do whatever it takes to get there. So I got to build more businesses. I've got to speak on more shows. I got to have more guests. I got to be on more stages. I got to write more books. I have to show up better in my own life every single day with my mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, sexual health every single day. I got to be a leader. I got to lead me first. I've got to be in connection with people that I can look to that are going to push me. I got to make sure that every single day I'm operating with clarity by writing down my goals and showing up and pushing, especially in the moments when I want to procrastinate or I face fear, not in the moments when I need rest, because if I'm going to rest, I promise you I'm resting, but in the mm -hmm. moments where you have to push forward. And ultimately, it's about having massive, massive clarity that that is the direction that I'm going until the moment that it changes. Wow. Damn. <laughs> this is one of the most impressive and interesting and amazing uh, interviews I've ever had the privilege to conduct. And I've had some amazing ones, including the other people on the screen here, because they're both really very interesting and fascinating interviews. But, Michael, you're setting a new a, a new. He sets the standard. He sets the standard. Like, oh, my goodness. Everybody else who plans to be a guest on the show, you have just seen what the new high is. This is where you have to be aiming at. Well, and look, wow. this this standard is the standard I set for myself first. Period. Mm. It pays off. The show is Thinking Unbroken with Michael Unbroken. You can find it, I imagine, everywhere. Is there any place everywhere. you're not found? <laughs> Let's be honest. Is there a place you can't be found? Everywhere. <laughs> you're everywhere. That everywhere! We'll also include a link in the, <laughs> we'll also include a link in the, uh, um, the, the show notes about uh, how to find the website so they can find their way there quickly. But man, thank you so much for coming on the show, talking about your story and talking about what you have, uh, learned in your life because what you have learned, 
my God, if everybody can learn this, we're going to have the most amazing world in the universe. Right. It's an honor, my friends. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And I have mad gratitude for being able to be here because by being on this show and you helping me spread this message, you're now part of my mission, and I'm grateful for that. Well, thank you for including us. Yes. Very much appreciated. And Daniel and Alex, as usual, you're very much appreciated as well. Thank you so much for everything you guys do to contribute to the show. And thank you, live streamers. Thank you especially to our podcast listeners everywhere because we'll see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody.